in the book of Genesis in our Bible, and we're going to look at another one of those invitations uh, that we see in the scriptures. And we started out our calendar year talking about invitations that we find in the scripture. And we're going to look at another one here today from Genesis chapter number 7. I hope that you will now approach the preaching time with an open Bible. If you have a copy of God's word there in front of you. If not, you just uh, listen along as I'll quote some scripture. And then have an open heart this morning that God would uh, be able to show you what you have need of this morning and would be able to speak to your heart and you would let him have his way today as he speaks to you. And as the Bible refers to that still small voice that God uses to speak to our hearts. And this thought of invitations that we see in the scripture is our theme for this year. You see it up here on the wall. Come and see. There's invitations throughout the scripture uh, that are given to us, uh, stressing that word come. God desires for us to be invited to come. And then the promise that goes along with that. You come and I give you the invite and then the promise God says, then you'll get to see. You come and you'll see. And so invitations that we see throughout the scripture. And I've said this uh, the, uh, the first few Sundays that we've preached on these invitations that we find in the scripture I've said this the first few Sundays, that the most thrilling invitations are the ones in Scripture, the ones in the Word of God. And we, we've been, I've used this as an illustration the early part of this year, we've all been invited to things before. We've had invitations that somebody has sent us. Maybe we got a card in the mail and we were invited to a, a wedding or maybe a birthday party of some sort. I talked uh, in the early part of this year about how I know ladies like to be invite, invited to the, to the baby showers and the wedding showers and just the enjoyment of all these different places that we can be and events that we could be invited to. But again, the most thrilling invitations are the ones that we find in the Word of God. And you say, well, why is that true? Because God is issuing those invitations. He is the one that is being used to invite us to something. And so we saw in the early part of this year, we've taken you to the book of John. And in John chapter number 1, uh, we saw some invitations that Jesus gave to uh, those, those who were his followers and uh, later becoming his disciples and his followers here on earth during his earthly ministry. And uh, then we saw an invitation that one of later, uh, Jesus' later disciples would give to another one of the disciples to come and see so that he could introduce this disciple to Jesus Christ. I've seen him. I've experienced him. And I want to tell you about him so that you can see him and you can experience him and what he'll do in your life as well. That's the idea with these invitations that God gives to us. So we said this at the early part of the year of January as well, and then we're going to get into our text. We said that may this invitation of come and see for all of us become a life of going going and, and telling. So we would say, I want to be instrumental in, in going and telling somebody what I've been able to come and I've been able to see and experience in my life. The change that God has done in your heart and done in your life. And you want to go and you want to tell somebody what he's done for you. Well, we come to the book of Genesis this morning, and we're going to start in Genesis chapter number 7. We're going to be in chapter number 6 in Genesis as well this morning in just a few moments. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter number 7, and we're going to talk about an invitation that God gives. 
And by the way, when God gives these invitations, He's really inviting us to Himself. That's the importance of these invitations. He's inviting us to Himself. And He's going to use this invitation that we're going to talk about today to really invite people to Himself. To come to me is really what he's saying. I want you to come to me. And when we see these invitations in Scripture, that's exactly what God is doing. So we think about the love of our God, and if he is inviting us to himself, then we would say these are invitations of love, aren't they? These are invitations of love. God wants us to be invited to himself because he's a God of love, and he wants us to be able to experience that love. And so we're going to look in Genesis chapter number 7, and I'm going to read a few verses here, and then I'm going to pull out some key verses from the passive scripture that I'll read this morning, and then we're going to go back to this text. We'll also look at some text in Genesis chapter number 6, and we'll put together this message about this invitation that God gives here. Look at Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1. It says this, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by seven, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And the Bible says in verse 6, And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. Now notice verse 7. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now, I want you to notice two things about some key verses here that we've read in chapter number 7, and then I'm going to give you some thoughts today from this story of Noah and this worldwide flood that took place and this ark that he built that reminds us of this invitation that God gives to us. There's a lot of illustrations and pictures that we are going to get to see from this invitation that will apply to our lives as well today. Now, the first thought I want you to notice is in verse 1. In verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. So what is the invitation here? Well, the invitation is, Come into the ark. That's the invitation that God gives to Noah, and he extends it, of course, to his wife and his children and anybody that would be willing to get into the ark. Come into the ark was the invitation that God gave. Now, here's the thought that I want you to remember here in verse number one. This is the first invitation that we find in the Bible. So if we were to study the word of God and we were to read the first six chapters of Genesis and then we were to come to chapter seven, this would be the first mention of any invitation at all in Scripture. So we are coming to the first invitation that we will find in the Bible. But there's another first that takes place in this passage of Scripture that is so important for us to remember. Not only do we see the first invitation in Scripture, but we also notice verse number 7, if you would, and Noah went in and his sons and his wives and his sons with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. So what else do we see that is a first in Scripture? We see the first 
acceptance of an invitation. All right, God, you've invited me to come in, but even when God gives an invitation, there's still a choice to be made, right? So we still have to either say we're going to accept this invitation that God gives to us, or we're going to reject it. So we see the first invitation from God in verse number one, and then we see the first acceptance or the uh, 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 agreement to take God at his invitation or his invite and accept that invitation in verse number seven. Now, I want us to notice several things about this invitation, this first invitation in Scripture today that I trust will be an encouragement to us. Maybe, maybe even a, 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 some new things that, you, that God might show you here in the story of, of the ark and Noah and the worldwide flood that takes place. So let's notice a few things. Maybe if you're in the practice of writing some things down, you have your notebook out there, you have your pen, you're ready to go. I want you to write down number one, or if you're not writing it down, if you could just remember this in your mind this morning, the applications that we'll try to make from this passage. Number one, I want you to notice that God gives an invitation, number one, to survive the flood. Number one, it's an invitation to survive the flood. Noah has been invited to come into the ark. Why? Because there is a flood that is going to take place. A flood is about to begin. It was God's way of declaring that judgment was coming. Judgment is about to come. There's a flood that's about to take place. So I'm inviting you to get into this ark so that you can find a place of rescue, so that you can find a place of safety. Now, I'm going to give you a few thoughts here this morning from Genesis chapter 6. So if you'd make your way in your Bible back one chapter to Genesis chapter number 6, and I want to give you some thoughts this morning, and I want you to notice as I'm giving you these verses this morning, maybe this will be something that God will use in your heart to have you or, or, or enable you to look at Genesis chapter 6 in a different way than maybe you've looked at it before. I want you to notice, when we look at Genesis chapter 6 this morning, I want you to notice the gospel that is given to us in these verses. The gospel is clearly laid out for us in these verses when God says to Noah, I want to give you an invitation to survive the flood. Survive the punishment and the judgment that God is about to send on this, what has become a very wicked world shortly after God had created everything. Now notice with me, number one, I want you to notice some truths from chapter six here. Look with me, if you would, verse number, uh, chapter six and verse number five. The first truth that I want you to notice this morning is I want you to see the wickedness. I want you to notice the wickedness. Look with me, if you would, at verse number five in chapter number six, it says this, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Look down if you would, skip a few verses, and look down if you would at verse number 11. The Bible is going to, in detail, describe for us how major this wickedness was in the days of Noah. Look at verse number 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, verse number 12, and behold, it was corrupt, 
For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Now what is the Bible telling us here about the wickedness of Noah's day from verse 5 and then verse 6 and then verse 11 and verse number 12? It's telling us several things about the wickedness of that day. Number one, they were wicked in their thoughts, weren't they? I mean, everything they were thinking on, the Bible tells us, was wicked. The imaginations of their heart was constantly wicked. Then the Bible tells us in verse number 11 and verse number 12, it tells us they were corrupt in their moral decisions. So they were very wicked when it came to their thoughts, but then the Bible tells us they are corrupt in their moral decisions. So their moral decision-making was very corrupt. It was off. As far as God's standards of being right and wrong, our moral decisions are off. We're not making correct moral decisions. They were very wicked and corrupt in their moral decisions. But the Bible also teaches us in verse 11 and verse number 12 that they were violent in their dealings with one another. They were violent in their dealings with one another. It kind of reminds me, and I know that you would agree with me with this statement, it kind of reminds me of the day we live in today. We think of the wickedness that's around us and the wickedness in the thinking of people in their minds and how that people are corrupt in their moral decisions and they're violent in their dealings with one another we notice the wickedness in this passage. I want you to go back with me, if you would, in verse, to verse number 6 for a moment. I'm sorry, the end of verse number 5, if you would. Notice the end of verse number 5. It says this, And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. What's the next word? Continually. Continually. So the idea here is that this wickedness is a constant, a constant thing that God is looking down from heaven and he is noticing because the Bible says that in verse number 12. And the Lord looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. God is looking down, and he is seeing the corruptness. He's seeing the wickedness. He's seeing the violence as they deal with one another. Now, remember we told you that these verses that we're going to see in chapter number 6 remind us of the gospel. Now, when we think of this thought of wickedness, what does it remind us of? It reminds us of our sin, right? The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good, the Bible says in the book of Romans. Then a little bit later in that same chapter, in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are born into this world with a sin nature, and we have the want to or the tendency to live in a wicked way, a corrupt way, a very violent way, no one has to teach us how to do all of that stuff, do they? Because the Bible says we are born, we are created into this world with a want to to sin. We have a sin nature that's been passed to us from our earthly father. And by the way, the first thing that we have to understand when we think of the gospel and the gospel message and how I can have salvation and know for sure I'm on my way to heaven, the first thing we have to remember is that we are all sinners. We have all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. But look at how terrible this sin is described. Would you look at verse number 6 for a moment, something we haven't touched on yet. It says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and watch this now, and it grieved him at his heart. Now how many of us would say 
that we would like to be the one that stands in line to be the one, I'll volunteer to be the one that grieves the heart of God. Not one of us would say, man, I'd like to take advantage of that, an opportunity to grieve the heart of God. The Bible says that's exactly what their sin is doing. It's grieving the heart of God. And can I say this? That's exactly what our sin does. The Bible tells us it grieves the heart of God when we sin and we live in wickedness and corruptness and violence. The Bible says that's exactly what our sin does. It calls us to come short of the glory of God because of our sin. It grieves the heart of God. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament of our Bible, in the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us in the New Testament scriptures that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, so the day that we are living in today, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God, by the way, the Holy Spirit is God, part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He is God. And the Bible tells us that when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, He indwells us. He comes to live within us. He sets up residence inside of our bodies. We have the Holy Spirit, if we're saved now today, dwelling inside of us. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30 that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That means that we are not to sadden the heart of God by the way that we live. As a Christian, we're to let our light shine. We're to be a testimony to others that are around us. And we're not to grieve, intentionally grieve, the Holy Spirit of God by the way that we live our lives. The Bible says the wickedness was so bad that it grieved the heart of God. So word number one was wickedness. But I want you to notice word number two in chapter number six of the book of Genesis. Number two, I want you to notice the judgment. The judgment. So number one, we saw the wickedness, but number two, we're going to notice the judgment. Now here's the truth about judgment. we got to remember this, because we see it all throughout the Word of God. Judgment always follows wickedness and disobedience. If you're going to live in wickedness and disobedience, all throughout Scripture we see the principle that it will always be followed by God's judgment. We see His hand of judgment all throughout the Scripture after someone has lived in wickedness or corrupted themselves or has been violent and has disobeyed the law of God. We see judgment that follows wickedness, follows sin. Well, notice with me, if you would, Genesis chapter 6 and look at verse number 7. And the Lord said, so what have we established so far? We've established the wickedness. But now God says, because of that wickedness, judgment is coming. And he says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. By the way, man, when God created man, we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God's uh, days, the days of creation are laid out for us. So we see the six days of creation. On the last day of creation, day number six, he created man. He created woman. He gave to them breath. He gave to them life. Here's what we would say about man and woman. They are God's most special creation. More special than anything else he created was man and woman. And why is that? Because we have been created with a soul. We have the ability to make a choice. We have the ability to have a relationship and fellowship with God. That's why we are His most special creation. We've been created in the image of God. Now think about that special creation of man and woman that's on this earth. And yet God says in verse number 7, Those who I have created, I want to destroy from the face of the earth. Does that in your mind give you a picture of how grieved God's heart was? How grieved God's heart was that he would say, I'm going to take my most special creation. And because they have 
lived in a wicked way. They've lived corrupt. They've lived violently. It's grieved my heart to the point where I'm going to uh, destroy them from off the face of the earth. And notice what the Bible says at the end of verse number 7. He says, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Would you look down with, with me if you would in verse number 13? Verse number 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. All right, so through who? Well, through those that are on the earth. The earth is filled with violence through the people that are on this earth. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, would you, would you skip to verse 17 quickly? Verse 17, And behold, I, even I, to bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy how much flesh? All flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die, he says. God is going to send judgment. Judgment always follows wickedness. All right, you say, okay, well, how does this work in God's plan of salvation? How does this work in God's the, the gospel message or the good news that we see in the word of God. Remember, we're all sinners. And with that sin, the Bible tells us, comes punishment, comes judgment. Very clearly, we see that in the book of Romans. The very first part of Romans 6.23 says these words, For the wages of sin is death. So the earned result of your sin or what you deserve to have happened to you because of your sin is death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, which is a separation from God for all of eternity. So are you seeing the plan of salvation in this passage of Scripture? We've got the wickedness, which reminds us of sin, and then we've got the judgment or the punishment, which reminds us of the punishment that we deserve if we are outside of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's word number three in chapter six. This is such an important word. Remember, the idea here is that it's an invitation to survive the flood. That's why this last word is so important. We saw the wickedness. We saw the judgment. Number three, we've got to see the grace. We've got to see the grace. Look with me, if you would, at Genesis chapter six and verse number eight. The Bible says this, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, before we go any further, let's remind ourselves of what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. The fact that he extends to us something we do not deserve. I don't deserve to have forgiveness. I don't deserve to get to spend eternity in heaven with God. I'd have to, we'd have to be true with ourselves and say that. We don't deserve that, but God extends grace to us so that by this grace we can be forgiven and we can have the opportunity to know Christ and be able to spend eternity with him. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 9. These are the generations of Noah. Now watch this. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. The Bible's telling us in verse number 9 that Noah had a good testimony, didn't he? He had a good testimony. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I thought that we just read in Scripture that everyone was living in a very wicked way, a very corrupt way, a very violent way, but the Bible tells us Noah was an exception, wasn't he? 
The Bible tells us Noah had a good testimony. When everything went wrong around Noah, Noah stayed right, didn't he? And that's the challenge for us today. Because you would agree with me, the statement I just made a minute ago, we are living in a very wicked world. We're living in a very violent world. We're living in a very corrupt world. But that does not mean that just because everything around us is going wrong, we cannot stay right. We've got to stay right in a world full of wrong that is around us. Yes, the world's corrupt. Yes, the world's violent. Yes, the world's wicked. But the Bible tells us that we can, as children of God, we can stay right. And we're not saying that in some kind of a prideful way. We're in humility saying God's the only one that's able to help us with that. But around Noah, when everything went wrong, the Bible tells us he stayed right so that he could find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 14 now. Verse number 14 there in chapter number 6. The Bible says this, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Go down to verse 18 if you would. But with thee will I establish my covenant. You notice what he's saying to Noah? He's saying you're different than everyone else. Everyone else I'm going to destroy off the face of the earth because they're wicked, they're corrupt, they're violent. But he said, with you it's different. You found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When everything else around you was going wrong, you stayed right. And God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to allow you to build an ark. You're going to get in that ark and it's going to save you. It's going to rescue you. You're going to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look at verse 18 again. And thou shalt come into the ark. Thou and thy sons and thy wives and thy sons' wives with thee. By the way, would you skip down to one more verse that reminds us of the grace that God extended to Noah? Would you look at chapter 7 again? And look at verse number 1. I, already know, I know we already read it, but it says this, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen, what's the next word? Righteous before me in this generation. See, God extended grace to Noah, didn't he? He gave him undeserved favor. Favor and grace was offered to a man that was facing judgment. This man was facing judgment with everyone else because of the wicked world that he lived in. He was facing just as much judgment as anyone else was facing, but God offered to him grace. And can I say this? God still offers grace today. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that still offers grace today. We can, as Noah did in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8, we can still find grace in the eyes of the Lord. You say, well, how do you know that's true? Now, it goes back to the plan of salvation. It goes back to the gospel. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter, four, or chapter 5 and verse number 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. God proved or he showed or he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners... He died for us, didn't he? That's grace, isn't it? When he was willing to leave heaven to come down here to earth and to die on a cross for us, that's undeserved favor, isn't it? God was willing to leave heaven so that he could die on a cross for us. And then the Bible says at the end of Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, remember we started that verse for the wages of sin is death, but remember this, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9, we're talking about God's grace and how he extends grace to us. He says, I died on the cross. I sent my son to die for you. I'm, I'm willing to offer you the gift of eternal life. And then in Romans chapter number 10, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's grace, isn't it? For with the heart man believeth in the righteous, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You skip a few verses and you come down to verse number 13, and the Bible says, For whosoever shall call 
upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's grace, isn't it? That he would be willing to come and die on a cross for us to give and extend to us eternal life if we just reach out and we call upon him and believe with our heart and we are willing to receive it. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, very familiar verses for some that are in here, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. We, just like Noah, have been offered an invitation to survive the punishment of hell. Noah was offered the invitation to survive the flood which was a picture of God's judgment. We have been offered an invitation to survive the punishments of hell, which, by the way, is a picture of God's judgment upon sin. By the way, hell is not just a picture or an illustration of it. It's a real place where real people are going to spend eternity if they are outside of Jesus Christ. So the encouragement today is to... Is to, is to receive that grace that God has invited and extended you as a gift if you've never come and, and come to know Christ as your Savior so you can be invited. God's invited you and you can accept that invitation to survive the punishments of hell. Number one in our passage of Scripture, we saw number one, the invitation to survive the flood. We saw the wickedness and we saw the judgment and we saw the grace. The second thought I want to establish in your heart this morning is this. I believe also we see an invitation to step by faith. Number two, an invitation to step by faith. Number one, an invitation to survive the flood. But number two, an invitation to step by faith. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1, back to our text that we read to start off the message, it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Here's the idea. They were invited to come into the ark. Noah had built this ark that he had built under God's guidelines. God had given him guidelines at the end of, the book of, at the end of chapter 6. We didn't read all of that. But he had given him guidelines. And Noah had now built this ark under the guidelines and the directions and the direct command of God. And now he is invited to enter into it. You have built it. And now God says, I'm inviting you to enter into it. But it was going to require a step of faith. It was going to require him to take a step of faith to get into the ark. By the way, according to Scripture, the Bible teaches us he built the ark by faith. It wasn't just going to require a step of faith to get into the ark. It required a step of faith, the Bible says, just to build the ark. I'm going to take my Bible real quickly and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7, here's what the Bible says. If you listen to this verse about the faith of Noah, it says in Hebrews 11 and verse number 7, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of, of the righteousness which is by faith. Now you'll notice in that verse that we just read, 
that it was going to require faith from Noah because it was things that had not been seen as yet. See, it had never rained. And because it had never rained, obviously there had never been a flood. And so God, why would you tell me that I'm going to see some, something fall from the sky, rain that I've never seen before, and it's going to do that so hard that it's going to flood the entire world. See, it takes a step of faith because he hadn't seen it yet. Do you realize that's how God wants us to live today? He wants us to live by faith. Every step we take is by faith. When the world around us is shouting, I'll believe it when I see it, God says, I want you to believe and then I'll let you see it. You've got to walk by faith. And then the Bible tells us one day our faith will become sight. And what we've never seen yet will become sight if we just put our faith in that which we cannot see yet and we're believing in what, has, what our eyes have not seen yet. He had never seen rain. And so it took a step of faith to build the ark, but then it was going to take a step of faith to get inside the ark as well to know that God truly was going to send this rain and I'm not just going to be in this ark and follow some kind of a foolish whim, but I'm by faith trusting that God said it and so it's going to happen. The Bible says this in 1 Peter. I'm going to take my time to look at 1 Peter just for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 20. Would you listen to this verse as I quote it for us this morning? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 20. The Bible says this. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The Bible tells us only eight people made that step of faith. For all of those years, while Noah was building the ark, the Bible tells us in another verse of Scripture, which we're going to come to in just a moment, and we're going to read it, the Bible tells us that the whole time this was happening, Noah was preaching righteousness. And he was trying to tell them, you need to get in! This is the only way of safety. You've got to get in the ark. And the Bible tells this man as a preacher of righteousness is just thundering that message so that people can hear it. And the Bible tells us that during that whole entire time, God had long-suffering. Or God was long-suffering. He had patience. And he was waiting and he was waiting and he was waiting as the ark was being prepared, it says. But the Bible tells us only eight made that step of faith. Only eight trusted the words that they were hearing from the message of Noah as he was a preacher of righteousness, only eight took that step of faith to get in. That's the idea this morning. God is giving to Noah an invitation to step by faith. You've got to take a step of faith to build the ark, and then you've got to step out by faith to get into the ark as well. 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about Noah when he was preaching. I'm going to read that verse. It says in verse number 5, And spared not, God spared not, the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And down in verse number 9 in that same chapter, it says this, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations or out of trials, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. See, Noah found grace and was able to get on board, of that, on board that boat because of the grace of God, but because of a step of faith that he made as well. God says, I'm waiting. My long-suffering, my patience is waiting for others to make that step. But they didn't make that step. 
So God said, I chose to preserve the righteous. That's what he did that day, didn't he? He preserved the righteous, but he had judgment set aside for the wicked. The Bible is teaching us here that Noah was delivered from the wrath of God. God had wrath that was coming in that flood. And Noah was saved from the flood because he put his faith in God. He believed in something he hadn't seen yet. Now, by the way, we already mentioned that Noah had grace. God extended grace to him. But the Bible says this about grace and faith. It puts it together, doesn't it? For by grace are ye saved through faith. You see, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but he also had to take a step of faith to be able to get into that ark and to build the ark. By the way, that's exactly what God asked from us today. We're to take a step of faith to believe in him. The Bible says in John chapter number 3 and verse number 36, it says, He that believeth in him, he's not condemned. But he that believeth not, the Bible says, is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. What takes a person to hell? The only thing that takes a person to hell and separation from God is the fact that they are unbelieving. That's what the Bible teaches us. Noah had to put faith in what God asked him to do. We have to put faith in what God asked us to do. We have to make steps of faith. By the way, real quickly, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 16, I want you to notice, I pull out a truth here real quick. It says in verse 16, a window, he's giving him the details of the ark, and he said, a window that shalt thou make in the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. Now watch this, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. Here's another thought about that step of faith. The step of faith that he had to make was going to require him going through a door to get into that ark. He said, well, wait a minute. Stepping through a door has some kind of an illustration for us? Yes, because the door was the only way to get in the ark. It was the only way that Adam, excuse me, Noah and his seven family members, eight total, were going to be able to get into that ark. And upon entering that door, they were in a place of safety, weren't they? See, it's their only way to get to safety, but once they enter into that door, it's a place of safety. And then the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 16, we won't take the time to read it, but the Bible talks about how he shut them in, which means this, God was the one who chose when the door was going to be shut. See, Noah didn't determine that. God determined that. So there was only one way to get in, and if you got in, you got to a place of safety, and God was going to de decide when the door was going to be shut, and those that were on the outside, they were too late when the judgment came. So you say, all right, what, is all, what does all that mean to us? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of John that Jesus is the door. He is the door. You've got to enter through the door to get to the place of safety. And the Bible very clearly lets us know that Jesus is the door. And then we talked about how that, that door was the only way in. The Bible says in John chapter 14 and verse number 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says to us, He doesn't say He is a way. He says He is the way, right? There weren't different ways to get on the ark. There was one way to get on the ark. One way to get to that place of safety. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. I'm the door. You've got to come through me and what I did on the cross to get to that place of safety. And then here's the thought. 
Jesus is the one who decides when the door closes, doesn't he? Meaning this, he's the one that decides when your opportunities will come to an end. That's why it's so important if God speaks to your heart not to reject, but to receive and accept. Because one day all of those opportunities are going to come to an end, and I'm not going to decide when that comes to an end. God is. See, the Bible says even the angels in heaven have no idea when that day is going to come, when Jesus is going to return, and the opportunities will be over. But Jesus knows, doesn't he? And here's the idea. Those who are on the outside of that door, who never received, and who always pushed him away, and who always rejected him, and always thought they'd have another opportunity, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Our life is but a vapor and appeareth for a little while and it vanisheth away. When they're on the outside and the opportunities have come to an end, here's the idea. It's going to be too late, isn't it? It is going to be too late and there'll be, never, there'll be no more chances to trust Christ as Savior. The idea here today is that if He's speaking to you today, you've got to make that step by faith. You've got to make that step by faith. You've got to determine, I'm going to take advantage of this invitation to survive the flood or to, to, to survive the punishment that awaits me if I don't trust Christ. And I've got to take advantage of the invitation to step by faith. Here's the last thought, and we'll finish with, quickly with this. The third thing that we see in this passage is this. We see an invitation to save his family. We see an invitation to save his family. Not only is there an invitation to survive the flood, there's an invitation to step by faith but there's an invitation to save his family. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 17, I'm going to read that verse to us quickly. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 17, it says, And the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and, 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 the, and the waters, it said, increased and bear up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. So the flood now takes place. The Bible tells us that Noah's family, though, is safely inside the ark because the Bible tells us when Jesus, when God gave that invitation to him at the early part of Genesis chapter 7, the Bible tells in verse number 7 that they went into the ark and they're safe inside of that ark. Here's the idea. Proverbs, or, or Hebrews chapter 11, we already read the verse. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it talked about how that Noah had to make that step of faith. And it said he prepared an ark. Did you notice what the words of that verse said? To the saving of his what? His house. See, there were eight souls that got on board that boat, right? Noah, his wife, and he had three sons and their wives. They were the only eight that the Bible says were saved. The idea today is this. God is interested in the entire family, isn't he? And he's interested in the entire family coming to Christ. You know, the Bible tells the story in Acts chapter number 16 of a Philippian jailer who was at the moment in the scripture passage when we're reading about to allow some prisoners to get free and to get away. And he took out his sword because he knew if these prisoners get away, I'm going to lose my life, so I'm just going to take my sword out and do it myself. And remember, Paul hollers out, he screams out, and he says, hey, we're all safe here. Don't take your life. And the man asked him, the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 asked him, what must I do to be saved? Remember Paul and Silas' answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. See, the idea is God's interested in the entire family, isn't he? You know, there's some that are sitting here today and your thought today is this, or, or at least your, your heart would be this way. You'd say, I've already trusted Christ as my Savior, but I have to be honest, I'm concerned about some of my family members. The thought today is let's spend some time praying over our family members. Let's spend some... Because God, he's, he's, he's concerned about the entire family. 
He's concerned about our little children that sang up here, that they come to know Christ one day. He's concerned about teenagers in our church. He's concerned about the families as a whole. He wants all of us to be able to get inside of that ark. So the important task today is leading our families to Christ as well. Trying to be the testimony and the instrument of sharing the gospel with our families so that they know it as well. Remember in John chapter number 1, remember what Andrew did when he met Jesus? What did he do? He went to find his brother. And he said, I want to find my brother Peter. So I can bring him to Jesus as well. The thought today is this. The day of judgment is coming. We see that here in the book of, uh, of uh, Genesis. The, the, the illustration here of the day of judgment that is coming. And the question today would be this. Are you inside the ark? Are you inside that place of safety? Have you accepted? Have you responded to the invitation that Jesus gives you to come by faith? and receive Him for your promise of eternal life? Have you accepted and answered that call? Are you inside the ark? Are you inside the place of safety? And then maybe a prayer request that might be on your heart today, is your family in the ark? Is your family in the place of safety? Do you have the, 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 the heart and, and the passion to see your family saved and inside the ark of safety as well? I'm going to close in prayer here in just a moment, but I have a few verses I want to read and we'll finish. I'm going to turn just for a moment to Matthew chapter 24. And I just felt like the Lord, as I was preparing this message, would have me finish with these verses because it gives us a reminder of the day we are living in today and then I'll close in prayer. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 36, the Bible says this, But of that day and hour knoweth no man not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Well, the day of what? That means the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That return, the Bible says, is imminent. It could happen any moment. And the Bible says this about that return. It says the angels in heaven don't even know. Only, only the Father, only God, the Father knows. And it says in verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. What does that mean? That means they're going about their daily routine. And they're not too mindful of what Noah's preaching to them. They're not too mindful and concerned about getting in the ark. The Bible says they're going about their normal daily routine until Noah enters into the ark. Now listen, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Now he says this, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. That's why we're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow. We have no idea when our physical life will come to an end. and We also have no idea what day Jesus Christ will return. I do know this. He will return because he said he would and he always keeps his promises. 
So the idea is this. The scripture teaches us, are you ready? He says, be ye ready. Are you ready? Are you, are you in the safety of the ark today because you've come to know Jesus as your Savior? And you called out to him and you've acknowledged your sin and you realize there was a punishment, a payment for that and he was the only one that could pay it and you receive that gift of eternal life. If you haven't, do not rely on anything else for your, for your, for your eternal life and for your opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. My wife and I knocked on a door just yesterday. Just yesterday, we knocked on a door and we tried to present the gospel to a lady and she looked at us and she said, I believe in many gods. And she said, and, and, and in so many words, with a statement that she made that I won't make, because I certainly don't want to be, I want to be mindful of situations, but she made a statement in so many words of saying she was relying on her works to get her to heaven. Works aren't going to take us there. It's only what Jesus has done for us. If you're not relying on that, would you rely on that today to get in the safety of the ark? And then can I ask you this? Would you have enough burden for your family that you may even come to the altar here in just a minute and just say, take some time praying for them. You say, I have enough burden for my family. Maybe that some that are saved and, and just maybe need to get where they need to be with the Lord. Or maybe some that you know that aren't saved and you're trying to witness to them. You're trying to pray for them. And you just want to pray for them again today. Do you have enough burden for our community? That you would say, I want to take advantage of every opportunity I can to try to reach people in this area with the message of Jesus Christ as well. That's the whole point of our theme this year. We want people to come and see what we've been able to see. We're going to go and tell so that they can come and see. Do you have enough burden about that? Whereas we finish this morning, you'd be willing to pray about that. Father, pray that you'd bless this moment of invitation this morning. Lord, I trust that with your help, I've been able to very clearly present the gospel message today to someone that may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior.